Praise the Lord. Well, I would like to invite you to open your Bibles with me, please, or switch your Bibles on if you have one of those gizmos. Um, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. This is a very well-known uh, portion of the Scripture, and you probably have heard this portion of Scripture being preached a hundred times. And uh, I'm, not, I'm probably not over-exaggerating. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, we were speaking last week about the importance of um, the arrival of the Holy Spirit uh, on the day of Pentecost um, to the Jews primarily in Acts chapter 2. Then we see Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit coming upon the Samaritans, and then Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit coming upon the Gentiles. Uh, that will be our Pentecost. And um, we saw also through the Scripture how uh, on that particular day in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, how we have three groups of people that responded to the Lord in different ways. You see, every time we are presented with the Word of God, every time God does something, He demands a response from our part. And uh, the day of Pentecost, we saw last week that there were people being obedient, that, that was the 120 waiting in the upper room, and, um, and they were obedient, and they, they were waiting for 10 days, the promise of the Father. And then we had another group of people who were um, devoted people, religious people, who came to um, Jerusalem on that particular festivity to, to worship God. Uh, and they were so involved in their, in their own things that they were not even aware that there was a promise that the Holy Spirit will come, that even in the book of Joel, um, that promise was about to be fulfilled that day. And, uh, and they heard this rushing mighty wind at 9 o'clock in the morning, and they all ran to that place, that upper room, and, uh, and heard their, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached in 15 different languages. There are 15 different na nations represented there. And they were blown away, and they said, are, are, are these guys not Galileans? You know, they're from the north. They have a thick accent, right? How, how, how can they speak the wonders of God in the languages in which we were born? And, uh, and the key element was revelation. They were lacking that piece of revelation. And when they heard the message being preached to them through the apostle Peter, 3,000 people got saved and baptized on the same day. And then, of course, we have the other group, which were the mockers. And people who were saying, oh, they must be drunk. I, we don't understand this. We don't care about this. But, you know, we are quick to judge. And, of course, um, they needed an encounter. So we were talking about three ways to respond. Obedience, revelation, encounter. Three ways to respond to the Lord. But also um, three ways to deal with God manifesting himself to us. Uh, I want to talk to you in, in the same manner today. Uh, we see three types of people. Um, taking different approaches in this particular need. Now, we have to understand that the, the context of Luke chapter 10, this is the, the most missional uh, chapter in, in Luke, and we see the Lord Jesus sending the 70 out to do mission, a mission field, to do a mission trip, if you like. And, um, and they come back, and they are amazed, and they're, they're saying, Lord, you know, even the demons uh, submit to us. And the Lord says, you know, that's great, but <laughs> you should be more glad, actually, that the name of many of them 
have come to be have become part of the book of life. In other words, salvation. And uh, and in in that in that in that uh, particular moment when he's hearing all the wonderful reports, he actually rejoices. He says, Jesus rejoices in the spirit. In that hour, this is verse 21, um, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things to the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Hallelujah. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So I love, I love this expression because Jesus sent these people to do missionary work. They come with great report, and Jesus is giving them some teachings, some adjustments, and then he just gets so excited that he just starts praising God. And what he says is, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And he says that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. Are you guys with me? The prudent, you know, like, oh, you know, we have to... We have to hold it. We, you know, we have to hold it together. We have to hold it together. We have to, you know. And he just gets excited and he just starts shouting and praising God in the middle of the 70. And he says that you have hidden this from the wise and the prudent. And Jesus is getting just excited about what the Father is doing. He's seeing for the first time the missionary work. He's just having a taste of what will happen in Acts chapter 2. He's just having a taste of the church being born and sending forth and, and speaking the word of God. Hallelujah. And within this context, I'm shouting too much, John. John is looking at me like this. And within this context, he's talking about the Good Samaritan, which just the title, it could be quite a racist one. The Good Samaritan. It means that, you know, normally they're bad. But that one was a good one. Well, you know, the Good Samaritan. But look at this. Verse 25 says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. That's not a wise thing to do to test the Lord. But you can learn one thing or two. Saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? In other, words, in other words, how do you interpret it? What's your take on it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. Verse 29 says, But he... Wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, And this is the beginning of the parable. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves or robbers who stripped him from his clothes, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by one, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked 
and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, putting on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when departed, he took out two denarii. That's basically two portions of the salary of a person in a single day. So basically two working days pay, wage, pay, pay, um, um, paid wage. Um, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for, for the scripture. And we pray, Lord, that this morning you will speak to our hearts and you will challenge our hearts. And we will be able to understand, relate, and respond to your word in a way that is pleasing to you, Lord. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you will produce right now, Lord, the miracle of preaching, which is foolishness to those who don't believe, but is power of God to those who believe. And it is foolishness because it's clay talking to clay about the potter. So, Lord, we pray that in the name of Jesus, that name that is power, that name that is healing, that name that is life, you will speak to us this morning, Lord, and we will leave this room with a fresh understanding of who you are and your purpose for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now look at the last verse again. And he said, he who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This lawyer, Jewish lawyer, could not even speak the word Samaritan. He says, he who showed mercy on him. You see, Samaritans were a very peculiar group of people. They were the inhabitants of Samaria, which is central Palestine. And they were, um, they were basically a mixture of what originally was the, 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 the ten northern tribes of Israel. Let me just give you a, a very, very short, in 30 seconds, one minute, uh, history lesson, shall I? Very quickly, right? Israel became united in the time of David, right? King David. And then King David had a son, Solomon. And then after Solomon, the, the kingdom was divided. Um, the son of Solomon, um, Roboam, he, he took the southern part, which was basically two tribes, the Judah area and Jerusalem. And, uh, and his general took 10 tribes in the north, right? And then you see, especially when we talk about the prophets and we read the prophets, there's a lot going on between Israel and Judah, between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, between Benjamin, which was the capital, um, in, in, in the tribe that was in the capital in Jerusalem, and Ephraim. Ephraim was the capital, the tribe in the capital of, of, of the northern kingdom. So you see a, a lot of the prophets, you talk about 
Benjamin and Ephraim. What, what does it mean? It means the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, right? Now, the northern kingdom was destroyed in 722 um, BC by the Assyrians. They came, destroyed the whole thing, and the ten tribes never ever came back again. They came back as some as Samaritans that we will speak that we, we will uh, teach what that is in a minute. But they came back, but never with the structure of the ten tribes, each tribe in their own land, in their own region. And then the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, became uh, destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians, by King Nebuchadnezzar. And that was the, the time that they were in the exile for about 70 years, and then they came back and rebuilt the second temple. Okay, the temple was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed, the walls were destroyed. You see a lot of Ezra and Nehemiah explaining what happened in that, uh, in, in that uh, sort of um, uh, restoration. But what happened is when the, when, when, when the people from both, um, from both areas that have been conquered by the Assyrians in the north and the Babylonians in the south, when they came back to their land, many of them were mixed with, um, with Assyrians or Babylonians or Syrians. And they came with the religions. They, came with, they were mixed with paganism. And they were not good enough to go back to um, live with the Jews who kept the God of heaven. And then they came with all this idolatry. And then, because they could not be part of them, they were impure they all went to live in that, in that area. Um, they worshipped the God of Israel, but they also continued their idolatry, worshipping the pagan gods imported from foreign lands. Um, and the new conquerors repopulated the land with their own people. Therefore, the Samaritans became a mixed race, con um, contaminated by foreign blood and false worship. Josephus, the Jewish, Jewish historian, says or describes them as opportunists. Um, we see that when they came, they were all mixed. And Ezra and Nehemiah, they did this incredible thing. They built this platform, this wooden platform. And for the first time in 70 years, the word of God was spoken in Hebrew. And they found what the book of Deuteronomy says, that they should not be mixed with Ammonites, Moabites, and other, and other groups. So there was a, a, a huge amount of cleansing. Many of them decided to purify themselves and to continue worshiping the Lord. And many of them decided to just keep their traditions and their uh, families and the religions, etc. So that's, that's the people that were living in the region of Samaria. So we see that, that conflict. We see that... Um, uh, difficult relationship. The Jews didn't want to have anything to, to do with the Samaritans because the Samaritans were second class. They were people who rejected the Lord. And not only that, the, the final uh, break between the, the two groups occurred when the Samaritans built a rival temple on Mount Gerizim, declaring it the real house of God and rejecting the temple on Mount Zion. You see? Um, in response, the Jews destroyed the Samaritan temple, and the Samaritans profanated their temple by scattering human bones over the temple sanctuary floor by night at the Passover feast. The two greatest insults that Jesus 
received by the Jewish leadership was demon-possessed and Samaritan, according to John chapter 8, verse 48. So Samaritans and Jewish people, they have nothing to do with one another. And then we have this uh, very interesting question being thrown at Jesus by this lawyer, this expert in the law, in the law of God. And then he comes and then he asks the question, how can I be saved? Well, you know, what does the Bible say? It says this. Okay, why don't you do the same? Okay, who is my neighbor? Oh, who's your neighbor? This is the question that draws out of Jesus what has become one of the most famous parables, the, the Good Samaritan. By asking Jesus the follow-up question of who is my neighbor, the religious leader is challenging Jesus on something absolutely fundamental. He's asking Jesus to give his definition of the boundary markers of God's kingdom. Who is in and who is out. That's our understanding. Who is in and who is out. Jesus, be specific, please. I don't have all day. Who's in, who's out. I know I'm in. Of course, his assumption was that. As a religious Jew, he's already in. So by asking, who is my neighbor... He's asking who is also in with me. But Jesus is talking about neighbors. And neighbors are those who are not living under the roof of the family. We don't understand the term neighbor. We are, you are either out or you're in. If you're in, you're part of the family. If you're out of the family, you are not. But that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. A neighbor, by definition, are those who are not living under the roof of the family. Therefore, they are those near around us. Now, the interesting thing about this story is that Jesus takes this religious leader and he starts talking about the worst of the worst, a Samaritan, a good Samaritan. And we hear the story, this particular man is traveling and then these thieves, these robbers, they come and take all his clothes so that it took their identity. We don't know who that guy was, if he was a Jew or was not a Jew, you know, who, who that guy is. You know, he, at least he, he could not be recognized because you will identify yourself by your clothes. If you were a Jew, if you came from another nation, you will identify yourself and your status and your education. You know, Jesus Christ, you know, was a rabbi. Everyone saw him that he was dressed like a rabbi, he was dressed like, a, in our days, he would be dressed like a professor, like Paul is dressed today, like a, like a professor. Bless you. <laughs> right? He was dressed like, like, a, like a rabbi, and people will address him as rabbi. He has that external authority, right? This man has no clothes. He's beaten Everything was stolen from him, and he's half dead. Okay? And then the Bible says that he was from, from Jericho to Jerusalem. And the first thing is a priest. A priest was traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem because he has to perform his duty. He has to go and serve in the temple. And as a Jewish person, he will come, and he was just ready, probably running late. You know, the pastor going to church, and all of a sudden, oh, that's probably a... Someone dead. Let me just go around. So I don't get close. I don't touch him. So I am not disqualified from my religious duty. 
because if I touch someone dead, I have to be, I'm unclean for a week, and I have to I have a job to do, and I'm late. So he goes around. You know, that's the priest, the one who performed the sacrifices. But then he comes behind him, the worship leader, the Levite, late behind the pastor, you know, coming late, right? The Levites were the assistants of the priests. They were from the same family uh, or the same tribe, but from a different family. And every priestly family was assigned a Levite family to serve under them. So uh, the priest will perform the, the, the sacraments, if you like, but then in our understanding, but then the, 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 the Levites were the co-workers. In our days, it would be like an, a pastor and an associate pastor or an assistant pastor or a worship leader, someone who helps, a deacon, if you like, right? An elder. So he's coming on the same story. He comes, someone is dead. If I get close to this, I will not be able to perform my duty. I will be unclean for a week. I go around, and then I can keep on doing my religious duty. And then we have the Good Samaritan. And he's a business person. He's traveling. And when he sees this person there who he doesn't understand if he's a Jew or a Gentile or whatever it is, he has no clothes. He seems dead. And the Bible says that he had compassion. And he comes close. He realizes he's alive, barely. And he put bandages in his arms, I can imagine his face, his hands, his feet, his legs. He poured his own oil and his own wine. And then take that dead, almost dead man, put him in his own beast, whatever it was, a camel or a donkey, a horse, and take him to the next inn. Put him in a bed and give the innkeeper the worth salary of two full days and says, here it is, take care of him until he's recovered. When I get back from my travels, if he had spent more, if you had to spend more on him, I will repay you. And that's the end of the story. And then the Lord said to the to the law, um, the law, um, the lawyer, the, the the expert, the doctor of the law. He says, "Who do you think in this story is the is the neighbor?" And he said, the, "He's trying hard to say Samaritan, but he just the one who showed mercy, Lord." And he says, "You have responded correctly." Now you go and do the same thing. So the example of the story, this is what Jesus is challenging him, is that the good guy was their bad guy. The Samaritans, which are the worst, there's no hope for them. They're, you know, religiously impure, ignorant, opportunist, as Josephus will say. He is the one that did the good deed. Hallelujah. Go and do the same, he says. In other words, you, religious leader, follow the example of a Samaritan. Ooh, that hurts. I mean, he couldn't even say his name. But the amazing thing I want to share with you very quickly today is these three, three types of people. There are people 
in this world who are takers. And those were the robbers. You never heard a sermon on the robbers, have you? The takers. The ones that, when they want something, they go and take it, no matter what. No matter if I, if I hurt someone, if I have to step on someone, if I have to kill someone. This is the type of people, what, the first type of people that the Lord Jesus is, is talking about. The takers. The ones that their needs and their ambitions in life are higher than absolutely anything, including people. God's highest creation. I don't care. I don't care. I just have that urge, that need. I'm going to get it filled. I'm going to get it fulfilled, satisfied. But then we have a second group of people in this story. And they are, they are the keepers. The priest and the Levite. They have been given a certain position or blessing. And they believe that it's their job to keep it. That when I go and I see someone in need, my religious duty, I have to keep it. I have to be accountable and professional and responsible. And a human being, which is the highest, the most important thing on this earth, because the Son of God came and died for us, is secondary to my religious duty, to my appearance, to my name, my family name, to my status. So I go around, I go like I have not seen them or seen him, and I continue with my life. Sometimes we act like that. We are keepers. We don't want to lose what it took us hard to achieve. And uh, we feel with the right that we have to keep it. We earn it. We keep it. It's my birthright as a Jew. But there are other group of people who are the givers. Who understand that whatever we have Whatever it's been given to us, whatever it has been entrusted, he was working hard. He was a, a businessman. He was traveling. And he, was, he assigned you know, the, the, this poor man in the inn, and he says, I have to continue with my business, but I will be back, and I, I, will, I will pay whatever is needed. Those are givers. Those are the ones who understand and realize that there is nothing higher than a human life. There's nothing higher than someone in need. And it doesn't matter if he was not a Jew. He understood that very clear. And although he came from Samaria, and although he probably didn't worship the right gods, and probably didn't go to the right temple, and didn't go to the right capital, and didn't go to the right uh, mountain, worship center, he understood that is God's creation. That is a man in need. And I'm going to help him. So we have takers, we have keepers, and we have givers. Obviously, the Lord has been very specific here. Okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put my finger in the wound a bit more, shall I? Because obviously there are bad people in the world. Those are the takers. You know, robbers, robbers, thieves. We don't even speak their names. We don't even know... Their nationality, we don't know where they come from. 
you know, the, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem was very, very dangerous. They, that was common. They are always there. They're the people that are trying every day to send you emails and messages to scheme people and to steal money from us. Uh, they're always there. They're the bad people, the unidentified. And then the Lord Jesus is saying, and they're also good people. Good people that you don't expect. People with good actions. But what he's addressing, the issue is to us. Is the religious, is the ones who think we are in the right team, and we think that we have the right to keep it. And we don't. Because he has called us. We are blessed to be a blessing. He says, I forgive you, therefore you must go and forgive others. He said that even in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He says, if you don't forgive your brother that you can see how I cannot forgive you. How can you not love your brother that you see every day and love God that you have never seen? And this is the Lord challenging us, I believe, the church, about our understanding of the things that he has given us. And we are just here. Every Sunday, singing and praising the Lord for the many blessings of the Lord, which is a wonderful thing, by the way. But we have been blessed to be a blessing. And this is a message for all of us, starting with me. This is a message where we have to realize, I've worked hard, and I have achieved certain things, and certain status, and I have a, a wonderful career, and I have, I'm rather a respected citizen in this community. But let me encourage you and let me exhort you with something even greater. You know who you are? You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you and to me. So whenever you are put in a situation like that, and I'm not talking only about social care. I'm not talking about being merciful and good to others. I'm encouraging you to, for us to change our picture today, our, our way of thinking, and realizing that, realizing that we are kingdom people. You know, kingdom people spend their lives giving out. We give our time. We, we give our effort. We give our reputation. We give our money. We give. Why? Because that's who we are. Because God, Philippians talk about Jesus Christ, and he didn't take, you know, his position as the son of God and sitting on the throne of heaven as something to hold on. But when his father had the need, he says, Dad, send me. I <coughs> was very hard. Send me. I will go. That's a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes in him shall not perish like that poor guy, but receive everlasting life. Hallelujah. I want to, I want to encourage you today with, this, with these words. There are takers. We know some of them. There are keepers. We know some of them, maybe 
We are some of them. But the one that Jesus is talking about is the giver. The giver. The one who gave his money, his time, his vehicle, his oil and his wine, his provisions. The businessman with the white collar that goes to the hotel and he's not bringing fancy clothes and fancy suitcase. He's bringing a dead man, bleeding, dirty. Everyone, what's going on here? So he's also giving up his reputation. And this is what the Lord, I believe, is trying to tell us today. To focus, to seek first the kingdom of God. To realize that even our religious status is secondary, is secondary to the highest thing, which is the people that he has created in this world. Your neighbor, my neighbor. There are takers, there are keepers, but the Lord wants us to be givers. Hallelujah. I'm getting good at this. Two minutes, two minutes to finish. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. And thank you, Lord, for who we are in you. And Lord, I just thank you that your word is never easy. Your word is constantly challenging us. And that's a wonderful thing. It's like we are looking at ourselves in the mirror and we are expecting to see ourselves, but then we see you. And therefore, every time we look in that mirror, which is your word, Lord, we realize that there are still a few adjust adjustments that you are making in our lives. Lord, I pray for every, every person in this room today, every family represented here, everyone following us through or listening to this me message in, in Zoom, and maybe people that will hear this message years to come through, through the internet, through technology, through the recordings. Lord, I pray that you will Challenge our hearts and help us to remember that there are takers and there are keepers. But Lord, you love a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Lord, we want to give cheerfully. We want to give our time, our, our effort, our love. Lord, everything that we have received from you, help us, Lord, to realize that everything that we are and everything we have, it is because of your grace. Lord, sometimes we feel a bit cocky and we say, oh, you know, receive our praise. Receive my worship, Lord, today. When in order for me to give you that worship, you are giving me air so I can breathe and do that worship and give you that worship. So every single even breath we take, it comes for free from you. So, Lord, absolutely everything we are, absolutely everything we have is yours. Help us, Lord, all of us, me included, me the first, to realize, Lord, that whatever we have is to be given out, is to give away, is to bless others. I'm not talking about being responsible and throwing money away, and, but, Lord, what I'm talking is about realizing that what we have is not our own. That the blessing is not in possessing, 
the blessing is in sharing it. It's like when we get a new house or a new car or a new something important for us. The blessing is not in having it. The blessing is in sharing it. When we invite people over, when we go for a road trip with friends, sharing it. Lord, I pray that you will develop in our hearts a heart of sharing with one another. And I'm not talking about materialistic things. That's actually the easy part. But to share who we are, to share our time, to share the things that are genuine to us. Lord, when we act in ministry, when we, when we do things for you, Lord, and uh, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to make the right decisions, get involved in the right things, help us to make right choices, that you will plant us around healthy relationships, Lord, and, and people that they can bless us and we can bless them. Lord, help us to realize that we are blessed to be a blessing. Help us, Lord, to realize that everything we have received from you, it is, it is also for us to give to others. Lord, I pray that we will be able to realize that God's money is in our pocket, that God's resources is in our storehouse, that God's blessings, we are stewards of them. And you are calling your people, Lord, to be givers. In whatever manner, shape, or form, Lord, I pray that we will realize that, that we are givers above everything, above our, our liturgy and religiosity. Lord, you are calling us to be a blessing. Lord, I thank you, and I pray that this message will touch the hearts of many, that you will wake us up to this reality, Lord, that we are yours, that you, we are yours and you are ours. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.